Well, we've read 1 Kings 11, 1 through 13. And it is a sobering passage of Scripture, is it not? To think that Solomon would fall into sin is hard to even imagine. It makes, it makes me question every once in a while, how, how does that happen? Is, is it actually true that Solomon was wise? This doesn't seem very wise, does it? Yet we believe that God is true. He is speaking the truth when he says Solomon was given great wisdom. And that Solomon did fall into sin. And so the first thing that I want you to realize from this passage is that none of us is above falling into serious sin. None of us. None of you, and not me either. And by serious sin, I mean serious sin. Not, well, I didn't love my wife perfectly this week. Not, well, I kind of got a little impatient with my children this week. Yes, we all sin in many ways. The Bible is clear on that, and our lives are clear on that, right? But, but when Solomon fell into sin, it was not just, well, you know, he could have done better. What did he do? Well, ultimately, we see the progression from one sin to the next, and we'll come back to that progression, but it ends with the Lord being angry at him because he has begun to worship other gods. Sin is always serious, but you can see the progression of sins. There, there actually is Although every sin is against a holy, perfect, pure God and therefore is terribly wicked. It is also true that some sins are indeed worse than others and the Bible is clear on that. And for Solomon to be building places of worship for other gods after we have just gotten done reading about him building the temple for the true God. It's a, it's a complete shock. It's meant to be a, a severe warning to us. This is serious sin. For Solomon to be described as worship, worshiping Chemosh Ashtoreth, Moloch, Moloch where they burned their children in fire before him, Solomon, 
Worshipping Moloch? This is serious sin, isn't it? None of us. Nobody is above falling into serious sin. Now you might think of that of yourself. I know I'm capable of falling into serious sin. But I look around me and look at all of these good and holy people. And they could never fall into serious sin. And you would be wrong. Completely wrong. And I could try to assure you of that by pointing at the people that I think are most holy in this room and saying, she is capable of falling into serious sin, he is capable of falling, but it wouldn't prove anything to you. you wouldn't, it wouldn't convince you if you agreed with me that they're good people, they're holy people, they're, they're wise and upstanding and worth using as a role model and worth asking for their wisdom. And then thinking they could never fall. But let me describe Solomon to you. Solomon, who God had appeared to twice. Has has God appeared to anybody in this room? Solomon's above us, isn't he? Solomon, whom God had given more wisdom to than the rest of the world. Solomon's above us, isn't he? Solomon, who had a father, who was a man after God's own heart. Some of us have the joy of being able to say, yes, I had a father who taught me to follow God. Others of us don't. But Solomon is above us. Nobody had David as their father. A man after God's own heart. The hero. The king. The king who we ultimately talk about being the great king. Not Solomon. Solomon who had done great Things for the kingdom of God. The building of the temple was not nothing. It was something incredible. It was something major. It was for the Lord. We've seen it. We've studied it. We've learned how holy it was and its glorious nature and the worship that began to happen there. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Solomon accomplished it. He built it. Some of you have built things. Have you guys ever tried to build something out of magnetiles? We've got these magnetiles, you know. Those are really easy to build with. You kids can build with magnetiles, right? How about Lincoln logs? Can you build with Lincoln logs? Is it harder or easier to build with Lincoln Logs? Harder. What about Tinker Toys? Have you ever built with Tinker Toys? Harder or easier than Lincoln Logs? I think it's harder. I always broke them. Trying to get them to stick in and then the, the wood splits. What about 
What about building with boards? Have, have any of you tried to screw two boards together at a 90 degree angle? How do you do that? I mean, you've got to have someone to teach you to do that, I think. Got a way to do it? That's good. Use those brains. <laughs> but, it, but it's harder, isn't it? It gets harder and harder. Try building with gold. Whoa. Now we're talking hard, right? Well, Solomon had built. And he hadn't just built. He had built for the Lord, to the Lord. Solomon also had success in the eyes of the world. I mean, that's, that's crazy to think. <laughs> Here's this holy man, and he has success in the eyes of the world. But sometimes it happens that we have both, right? And that's, that's probably one where we can really be tempted as Christians to be like, wow, I mean... He's not just apparently holy, but he's been blessed with money and success in this world. Wow. Solomon had it. What else can we say about Solomon? Solomon used to seek the Lord. Now, there's one last thing that we can say about Solomon that's probably the most mind-blowing of all. Solomon, who wrote large portions of the Bible. Solomon, who wrote large portions of the Bible, fell into serious sin. Now, everybody, look around. Come on. I get to look at all of you. Look around. Look around at everybody that's here. Come on, somebody way in the back. There's two people way in the back. Four, if you can. You're not way in the back. You're almost in the way back. <laughs> okay. Everybody here can fall into serious sin. I don't care how good you think they are, how solid you think they are. None of them have written the Bible. You understand what I'm saying, right? Now, some of you are more tempted to think I could never fall into serious sin. Yourself, not me. I know you all know I can fall into serious sin. The world never tires of reminding us that pastors can fall into serious sin. After all, that's the, that's the hypocrisy of the church, right? The pastor has done some wicked thing. Okay, I hope you know I'm a pastor and I could do something wicked. Yes, I could fall into serious sin. But some of you are more tempted to think, well, yeah, I mean, I can look around and see all these people. I know they could all fall into serious sin. I don't think I'm really going to have to worry about that. I've got things under control. I'll just never, you know, never do that. I wouldn't. I would never do that. Are you kidding me? Worship Moloch? Get out. 
I'd never do that. But you could. If Solomon could, you could. None of us is above falling into serious sin. And so, the only conclusion that we can draw from that is you must obey God. You must obey God. That's the opposite of falling into serious sin. It's obeying. Now, many of us have grown up in a culture that says that that response is legalism. To say you must obey God when, we're, when, we've, when we've looked at Psalm and we've seen this great and holy, mighty and wise man whom God has appeared to fall into serious sin, to at that point then say, don't do it. Obey God instead. That's not legalism. You understand? That is not legalism. That is simply what has to be said. Don't do what Solomon did. Solomon turned off the straight and narrow, right? Solomon turned to the things that he loved in this life and in this world. Solomon turned away from obedience to God. Solomon disobeyed. Don't be like Solomon. The only way to learn from Solomon is to obey instead. We must obey God. Now, if you want to talk about how to obey God, seek the Lord. Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. No, you're not going to do it in your own strength. Right? For me to tell you, you must obey and you can do it in your own strength. Okay, now we're, now we're Pharisees. Now we're legalists, right? For me to tell you, obey God and, by the way, you also need to do this. Yeah, that's legalism too, <laughs> right? We don't add man's commands to God's commands. But to simply say, look at Solomon and learn from him, it would be utter foolishness for us not to think most obviously, oh, I got to keep obeying. I got to keep obeying. It's not, it's not good enough for me to obey for 14 years. It's not good enough for me to obey for 20 years. Obey God. Now, let's look at what Solomon's progression, downfall is. The first thing we need to see is obey God in the first place. Just like uh, some of you kids have heard, my kids heard even last night, obey cheerfully. No, wait, what's the first one? Obey, what? Right away. I, I, I can't do it. All the way and with a happy heart. That's different than I heard last night. Cheerfully is what I heard. Completely. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, adverbs to put on that obey, aren't there? 
But, but ultimately, you put them all on there, and what does, it, what does it sum up? It's describing what obedience looks like. It's just, it's just teaching you what obey means. That's all. It's not, it's not adding a bunch of extra stuff on to obey. It's just reminding you, this is what obey means. We're to obey all the way. We're to obey cheerfully. We're to obey with the utmost attention to obedience. We're not to obey with the utmost attention to how we can get away with doing the least amount of obedience while still being counted as obedient. Right? Just like we're not supposed to clean, thinking about how exactly little cleaning we can do without being told in the end we haven't cleaned. The goal is clean. The goal is obedience. Obey God in the first place. And Solomon fails that in the first place when he multiplies wives for himself. Now we saw last time that we were studying this book that he multiplied horses. So we've seen already that, that one warning that on its own, apart from the explicit command of God, because that's what we're talking about, obeying, obeying God, right? That explicit command of God that he was not to obey, I mean, that he was not to multiply horses for himself from Egypt. And that's precisely what it says he did, not just multiplied horses, but from Egypt. Okay, now... Right? Together with that command was also, nor is the king to multiply wives for himself. And boy, howdy, you can't come up with any king that's multiplied wives for himself the way Solomon did. 700 wives and 300 concubines. This man can surely be said to have disobeyed God. Right there. He multiplied wives for himself. If you obey in the first place, you will save yourself from many temptations. Who, who likes when temptation increases on you? Does everybody like that? Oh, I like it when it gets really hard for me to resist sin. No. We prefer it when it's easy to resist sin, right? Okay, if you want it to be easy, don't give yourself to the first sin. Because once you give yourself to the first sin, the temptation increases, not decreases. Sometimes you think, oh, if I just give myself to this sin, the first place, then it will, the, the temptation will decrease. It'll be easier for me to fight sin after this. If I just sin a little bit, that'll be a help to me. Think about lying. Why do you lie in the first place? You lie in the first place in order to hide the truth from somebody, right? But the moment that you tell one lie, we all know, one lie leads to 
another lie. It actually gets twice as hard not to lie the moment you lie. It doesn't get easier to obey. It gets harder when we sin. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. The whole point of that beautiful, truthful rhyme is that it gets harder, not easier. The very first time you lie, the very first time when first we practice to deceive, now all of a sudden you've got to tell two lies. You've got to tell three lies. You've got to tell four lies. Because you've got to cover up more and more untruths, more and more problems that you want to hide from others so they can't see what the truth is, what's actually happening with you, what you've actually done, what you've actually said. No, I never said that. No, I didn't do that. That first lie is real easy, isn't it? Because we think it'll just get us out of the problem. The moment you tell it, now all of a sudden, the pressure ramps up. The temptation increases. There's more lies coming. There's more temptations to lie anyway. The more lies you tell, the harder it is to stop lying in the end. And it's like that with every sin. There is no sin where if you just give yourself to sin, temptation will decrease. You think that that'll be the solution. That'll solve the problem. I'll just give myself to sin this once so that I don't have to keep sinning. That's a lie from Satan. That's precisely what he wants you to think. Yeah. But I want you to realize it's crazy, it's insane, it's obviously false, it's a lie, and it leads you straight into greater and greater sin. This is what happened with Solomon. He starts, we're not talking about lies with him, right? That was just an example. Here we have Solomon and his whole life as an example where he multiplied wives for himself. That was the first disobedience in this progression here in our chapter, right? He multiplies wives for himself. And it says he loves them. We're not going to dive into the various meanings of love, but let's just say Solomon liked women. Okay? Fair enough. He loved them. But he didn't just multiply wives for himself, did he? When you start multiplying wives for yourself, apparently, you start casting your eye around and thinking, okay, let's see, who else can I marry? And hey, there's this beautiful woman, Canaanite. Oh, I'm not supposed to marry Canaanites. How long did he put that off? Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. This is the second. It's the progression into sin, 
into deeper and deeper sin. And why were the Israelites instructed not to marry from these nations, these specific nations? We don't always get explicit explanations of exactly why this you're not supposed to do. Or this you are supposed to do. There's many commands in Scripture that it takes a little bit of thought. And even then sometimes people will disagree on why that was a command in the ceremonial law, for example. Right? Okay? But this one, it's clear. It's abundantly clear. It's obvious because it's explicit. And we're warned, or reminded of it here, just in case we had forgotten, in this passage, from the nations, verse 2, concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, God had said this. What? What had God said? You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. The very ones that he was not to marry, the very ones that he was given the reason why he was not to marry them, because they would turn his heart away from God. How many of you think the first time Solomon married a Sidonian, that he thought, I guess I'm just going to worship other gods now? No way. No, that came later. We're talking about a progression of sin here, aren't we? From one sin to the next to the next. Deeper and deeper into the hole. And so once Solomon had multiplied wives for himself, he gave himself over thinking, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I won't let it affect me. I, of all people, know how to keep myself from falling into idolatry. I'm not going to worship other gods. I built a temple for crying out loud. Seriously? I'm not going to let them. I'm a man. I'm the king. I lead. I don't follow. I don't know what you think Solomon was thinking. That's what I think Solomon was thinking. And many other things. Many other ways that we justify our own sin. That, that I know what God has said, and I know why, and don't wor- I don't have to worry about that because I won't let that happen to me. I won't let it affect me that way. It won't have that harmful impact on me. Now, keep that in mind, because we'll come back to that. What if, what if you can take three steps into the hole without falling all the way? We'll come back to that. But Solomon did fall all the way. He wasn't supposed to multiply wives for himself. He wasn't supposed to marry Canaanite women. But once he did, 
he was further tempted to allow their worship. You notice I didn't say to worship. To allow their worship. This is another step you might not have noticed. You might have jumped or assumed that the next sin was straight to him worshiping. No, the next sin was not Solomon worshiping the other gods. The next sin is he gave his wives what they wanted. That was the sin. Him giving his wives what they wanted. He allowed their worship. The burning of incense to their gods. Making little places for them to do that. Now, any man who is married knows the power his wife has to make his life miserable if he doesn't give her what she wants. I'm not looking for amens or head nods. I'm just saying any man who is married knows that his wife can make him miserable if he doesn't give her what she wants. And all the wives are saying, and we know how miserable our lives can become if we don't give him what he wants. And this is precisely what marriage is, right? Two people who have come together as one. And if you're not pleasing to each other, it becomes very painful, very miserable, very quickly. Now imagine having 700 wives, and you will realize that it was very foolish of Solomon to multiply wives for himself, right? No sooner has one wife come in and badgered him about the fact that she can't get the incense she needs to worship her God where she grew up. Are you trying to steal my culture from me? Aren't you? Why do you hate my family? I mean, think of Finally, he just says, no, enough, get out. And who's the next person? Send her in. Oh, no. All right, fine. Fine, I give up. You guys can do what you want. Go ahead. And then, then he was tempted to join in with the worship. You see how it's step by step? Yes, sometimes it's this feels solid. But a lot of the time it's I think I can step down here. Yeah, I'm not falling. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we're good. And you get lower. You go step by step. 
So, this is why you must obey God all the time. All the way. Completely. Not picking some little bit where you think, oh yeah, this is a safe sin. This is where I can go and sin and it'll be all right. This is the place where it won't lead to any problems. This sin will be okay. This is where the one place in my life where I don't have to be wise, where I can, where, but and it won't, it'll be okay, don't worry. I don't have to worry about this because it doesn't lead to anything else. God says it's going to lead to me worshiping other gods, but that's absurd. I'm not going to do that. I'm wise. I know I'm not going to do that. Everybody ought to know I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to just do this. It's one place where I can let my guard down and not have to be wise all the time. Obey God. Do it in the first place. Don't wait till you're six steps in and be like, now here I'm going to draw the line. When you're wrapped up with cords pulling you down, there's no more steps, it's just a slope, it's muddy. And there's people jumping on top of you from behind. That's what sin is like when you start stepping down in. And you know because look where Solomon entered, ended up. Obey God. Now, but if you have not obeyed God, if you have not obeyed God, if there is any place in your life where you have already sinned, I'm smiling because this is all of us. All of us have places in our lives where we have already sinned and we know, we're thinking, really, does that matter that much? Really, that thing that I do, is that, could that actually lead to something bad? Could it really be disastrous in my life? At least I hope you're thinking about particular sins in your life. The ones that you think are little. If you've sinned, and you have, don't let one sin turn into two sins. Or two sins into three sins. Or three sins into four sins. I know I got done talking about how dangerous it is to be three steps in, right? Four steps in. Five steps in. But it is not hopeless to fight against sin and temptation. It is not hopeless. It doesn't matter how far in you are. You think, you may still think, well, this next sin will put me on stabler footing. Satan will try to convince you even when you're three steps in. I don't know, this will give you a nice ledge to stand on. Have you ever been rock climbing in a, in a gym? And they've got these various things on the wall, right? These handholds, these grips. They're all screwed in, different colors. And from up on the wall, looking up, you only get to see the bottom, right? 
You can't see the top, which is where you need to hold on. And so there, I remember being in a gym climbing one time, and there was this, there was this one grip that stuck way out, and it was kind of, kind of triangle-shaped. And, boy, if you could just get your hand on that, it just had this deep, deep grip. that You could stick your fingers in there, and, boy, you had a hold. Didn't need to worry. You were holding on tight. Good grip. Nice. Stick your fingers down inside it. Just hold on. Let go with all your other hand, both feet off the wall. Just hang there. It's great. There was also a grip that looked identical when you were on the wall, but that instead of having a nice deep grip that you could stick your fingers in, it sloped away out of view. So you'd reach for it and make a jump and grab, but there was nothing to grab. It was just a nice slope that would just... I can't get my fingers in there. You just slide right off the wall. Don't let Satan trick you into thinking, yeah, this, this sin will be a nice solid spot for me to stand, for me to hold on. I can hold on here with this sin. It's like I just give myself to this sin, then I'll be, I won't need to go any further to find a better place. I'll be able to hold on right here. I won't go up or down. It'll be perfect. No. It is not hopeless to fight against sin and temptation. But it does require you to turn around. It does require you to turn around. You have to start going the other direction. That's repentance. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning towards God. If we're talking about going into a pit, you don't keep looking down into the pit. You don't keep facing this way. You turn around and you start thinking, okay, how do I get out? I'm repenting. How do I turn away from that? How do I turn to God? And that's not hopeless. Yeah, there are many sins that weigh us down and that entangle our legs. Yes, it is hard work. Yes, it is a fight. Getting out of a muddy pit is hard enough without ropes. Pulling you down. Tangling your feet. But in 1 Corinthians 10.13 we read, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Okay? Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You think this is too much. The weight is too heavy. God has not given me enough strength for this. God has not given me what I need. I don't have the strength to climb out. The verse continues. But with the temptation, will provide. Not might provide. Will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. 
Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? You think the weight is too much. I guess I have no choice. It's just me and sin. I'm falling into it. I wish that God was not the one tempting me. And begin to blame God, right? Just like Adam did. Just like Eve did. Pointing the finger somewhere else. No, God does not tempt you. We read that in James, number one. And number two, here we read, He always provides a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So right there, when you're facing temptation and you think, I can't abide it, I'm going to fall into sin, there's nothing I can do, look for the way of escape. It is there. It is there. Take the way of escape. Turn away from the sin, away from the temptation, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have the strength, and there will be a way of escape. Take it. I don't care how many steps you are into the sin. Repentance is possible. The man on the cross, the thief on the cross next to Jesus was many steps into sin. So many steps that his life was now ending. His sin had found him out. He was hanging, dying on the cross. The other thief on the cross, also that many steps into sin, right? They both faced the same temptation. Sort of like the temptation of Job. Curse God and die. And one of those thieves cursed Jesus, mocked him. And the other, it may even have been that he did that too. Because we read that the thieves, plural, were on, on either side of him, were mocking him. He took one more step into sin. Is there any way back for a man who's at the end of his life? That man repented. God gave him the way of escape. And Jesus said today, I will be with you in paradise. There is always the way of escape. You can always turn aside from sin. So, obey God. But if you've sinned, and you have, don't give up. Take the way of escape. Don't let one sin turn into two sins. Now, don't give up before the end. The end. I don't mean don't give up before tonight. I don't mean don't give up before the end of the week. Don't give up before summer vacation. Don't give up before the end. Solomon, it said, was turned aside from the worship of the Lord to the worship of false gods when he was old.
Yesterday I was coaching soccer and one of the kids on the team was out playing and have any of you ever played a sport without making a mistake during a game? Doesn't happen, does it? You're always making mistakes. Well, he finally was so discouraged with the mistakes that he was making that he gave up. He just stopped, stood there, and started crying. I wasn't yelling at him. Don't blame me. He was yelling at himself in his head. I could see it, you know. He gave up. He gave up before the end of the game. I told him afterwards, the only mistake that you made out there that you cannot make again is giving up before the end of the game. Because then I have to pull you out. I can't have you quitting in the middle of just stopping and standing there. I need you to keep playing. Don't give up. And that's what I'd say to you. Don't give up. Don't give up before the end. The end of the game is the end of your life. We are fighting through to the end. We're running a race that is our whole life. Solomon ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and then, eh, you know, the finish line's pretty close. It's like the story of the tortoise and the hare. What does the hare do? Turns to the side and takes a nap. Solomon turned to the side. He didn't finish the race. Don't give up before the end. Fight on. Like when the ball is about to go out of bounds in soccer and the kids stop. Well, it looks like it's about to go out. It rolls to a stop. They're standing there. Play on! Fight on! Go get it! Don't give up before the end of the game. Don't quit fighting sin. Fight to the end. Jesus fought to the end, didn't he? He didn't quit till it was completed. Never stop resisting Satan. That's what fighting is. We're fighting against principalities and powers. As well as the wickedness bound up in our own hearts. Against ourselves. But they work together, these wicked things. Never quit. Fighting Satan. You might think that sounds obvious, but here's the thing. Remember I just said they work together? Your own sinful heart. So, so let, me make this, let me make this addition. Never stop resisting Satan, no matter who he is using to tempt you. Including yourself but also including your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your fiancé, your best friend, your coworker, your boss, the police officer, or anybody else. No matter who Satan is using to tempt you, never give up resisting Satan. And the reason I start with your own sinful heart is because I'm not trying to call all those other people wicked. Compared to you, I'm just saying, 
There's always somebody that Satan is capable of using. And they don't have to be trying to get you to be doing anything bad. But for Adam, it was Eve. Right? So don't think that, well, you know, I don't need to worry about it because I haven't married 700 wives. I only have one. Okay, well, good. Is it possible that your husband or your wife could be used by Satan to tempt you to give up on holiness in one area? One area. Of course it's possible. It's possible for him to use your own heart. It's possible for him to use your husband and wife too, or your child, or your mother. And they don't have to be trying to convince you to do something evil. All you have to do is fear them rather than God. That's enough. The moment you fear, fear man rather than God, Satan has the only weapon he needs to beat you at the fight against sin. Right? The moment you fear man rather than God is the moment Satan has the weapon he needs. We need God's help our whole life. Not for the first part of it. Not for the first three quarters of it. Our whole life. Because we cannot resist Satan apart from the power that God has given us when we put on the whole armor of God. Never stop praying to God for strength and grace. Never stop. If you have stopped, you have lost. Because you don't even know that you need him anymore. And then what you know is, I'm worshiping something else. The last thing I want you to see here. Yes, we are to obey God from the beginning. Yes, if we've sinned, we're to obey him by repenting turning away from the future sins. Yes, we're to keep obeying to the end. But the last thing we need to see is that the consequences of sin are dreadful. And that is meant to motivate us to this fight. We see one of the personal consequences for Solomon here that does not seem to be naturally related, his son losing the kingdom. There's not, many times there's this obvious, you know, you drink and drive, you crash. Natural consequence, flowing out of your sin, easy to draw the line, right? It's not easy to draw the line from fell into worshiping idols, son loses the kingdom. Except for simply saying, God 
is at work, right? We, we can draw the line and say, well, God did it. But there's no natural progression that, you, that we see that's like this obvious consequence that's going to happen eventually. But that's just one of the consequences. Have you thought about what the other consequences are for the sins that Solomon gave himself to? Think of having children that don't follow the Lord. Solomon allowed his wives, mother to his children, to worship other gods before he was worshiping them. What's the consequence of that for the children of Solomon? They're taught to worship Chemosh, Ashtoreth, Moloch. That's a serious consequence, isn't it? And that's a natural consequence. You know that's what happens. Anybody knows that's what happens. Children grow up, follow their parents. So we see the consequences, some natural, some supernatural for Solomon. What we know is that the Lord was angry with Solomon. Solomon had forgotten the first thing he needed to remember, to fear God. Fear God. Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Solomon lost his wisdom. He lost the beginning, the very first little Tiniest bit, he stopped fearing God. And so the Lord was angry with Solomon. The consequences of sin are dreadful. It's one thing to look at the consequences for your life, the natural or supernatural consequences, and think, if I do this, you know, ah, I don't think I really want to pay that cost. It's another thing to remember. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We are to fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That'll motivate you better than any of the rest of the consequences. But the consequences are from God in order to cause us to fear him and to obey him. So if you see those consequences, don't use them as an excuse to hate God. Don't use them as an excuse to go further into sin. Use them as a reminder to fear God and live by his commands.